In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Will the scrapping of Music Midtown strike a chord with Georgia voters? The most recent action by this governor signaled to artists that they could not be safe here. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein. Your other host, Patricia Murphy, she's off this week, so I'm joined by former political insider and really still current political insider in our heart, AJC senior reporter Tamar Hallerman. Tamar, thank you so much for joining us and taking a break from your award-winning podcast, Breakdown, which has been a fantastic listen this season. Thanks, Tamar. Thanks so much, Greg. It's so great to be back here and to do something off script. Exactly. Yeah, there is no script for our podcast, as our beloved listeners definitely know. Well, if you're just listening to us for the first time, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. Coming up later, we'll talk about how Georgia's economy has opened a new rift in the race for governor. But first, this is something I don't think I would have ever imagined. In a bizarre twist, the cancellation of Music Midtown has become, just like everything else, a political issue. Now, Tamar, this has really been a sudden event. On Friday, we first started hearing word, including from our friend, independent journalist George Chidi, that gun-related issues were going to be the cause of the cancellation of this year's Music Midtown. Over the weekend, we heard the word could come down as soon as Monday or Tuesday. Well, it came down Monday. Alas, the festival organizers did not give a concrete reason as to why they were canceling the event, kind of leaving a vacuum. But we've heard from now numerous officials with direct knowledge who say it stemmed from Georgia's not the most recent gun expansion that Governor Kemp signed into law just a few months ago, but a 2014 law that opened up permissive law signed by Governor Nathan Deal that allowed people to carry their firearms onto public property, which includes the city-owned Piedmont Park. So this has really transformed the game. In 2019, there was a court ruling that made it harder for events like Music Midtown with short-term leases on public-owned land to prevent folks from bringing in their guns to those events. And we're now three years later. It's been after some event cancellations because of the pandemic. Now we're hearing that Music Midtown is canceling this. And tomorrow. Stacey Abrams and other Democrats are saying this is the economic fallout of Governor Kemp's and Republican support for gun expansions. 
Sure. And this is something that I'm curious to see how much Democrats pick up and run with this on the campaign trail. They can, of course, you know, this was Governor Deal who signed this law back in 2014. But of course, Governor Kemp has made expanding gun rights a core part of his tenure as governor, um, something that was very much a core campaign promise on the campaign trail four years ago, something he was able to deliver on earlier this year. And Democrats have shown that they are not going to hesitate to link him and other Republican officials to this policy. And I'm sure once we get kind of an updated number on kind of the economic footprint of Music Midtown, it's something you're going to see them harp on again and again and again. Um, And it really raises the question, you know, a couple different ones. First of all, what's the future for live giant music festivals like Music Midtown in places like Georgia? Of course, there are a ton of events like this around the city of Atlanta over the year. You know, there's the, the Jazz Fest, there's the Sweetwater 420 Fest, the One Music Festival. Are all of these going to be on the chopping block because of something like this? And will this motivate voters and particularly the younger voters who might be more inclined to go to a music festival like Music Midtown, folks in their late teens, early 20s, does this make them more likely to vote in general? Yeah. Will this be a motivating factor? I mean, look, I asked Stacey Abrams if she's worried This is the first of a number of new economic backlash, of new fallout from Georgia's gun laws. Here's what she said. I I do. I think that the challenge we face in the state of Georgia, and we've seen it happen over the last decade, is that hard right religious extremist laws or just hard right extremist legislation has had consequences. And in years past, the governor, then Governor Deal, was willing to take action to mitigate the harm, but we have not seen the same from Governor Kemp. This law is exacerbating a challenge that was created in 2014 with the Guns Everywhere legislation, but it doesn't just make Georgians unsafe. It leads to unrelenting gun violence across the state, which we're seeing in nearly every headline, but it's also going to kill jobs and hurt the economy. Now, Stacey Abrams is referring to legislation that Governor Deal signed in a 2014 re-election campaign that really was meant to energize conservatives. Democrats like to call it guns everywhere. But even back then, a lot of Democrats supported that measure, including Jason Carter, who was then the gubernatorial nominee. Now it's a completely different landscape. Uh, Jason Carter and other Democrats used to run as NRA Democrats, as Democrats that supported gun rights. They did not, in their view, want to lose an election based on Second Amendment rights. Back then it was looked at as a campaign killer. And so Carter was among the Democrats who supported that, and he wasn't the only one. It started to change in 2018 when Stacey Abrams and Stacey Evans, her Democratic primary rival, they battled over who had the lowest grade on the NRA. I think Stacey Evans had a D, Stacey Abrams had an F. So that just shows you how quickly things really change in Georgia politics. And now we heard from Stacey Abrams saying, hey, look, Governor Deal, he was very conservative, but he still vetoed the Religious Liberty Bill. He still pushed back against broader gun expansions. And in this case, we have her kind of hearkening back to the era where he kind of you know, put the brakes on some of the more conservative legislation that, that Governor Kemp has let go through. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is an area where Democrats are going to try and pounce and go on the offensive. Because when you look, um, especially with President Joe Biden, his underwater approval ratings, Republicans are using that as an opportunity to pounce on issues like inflation, gas prices, interest rates, that sort of thing, as a way to kind of pummel Democrats, tie them to President Biden. This is a way for Democrats to go on the offensive, to speak out against what Governor Kemp is up to, tie him to a bunch of issues. And looking at the latest results from the AJC's most recent poll of Georgia voters, it shows exactly why. Right behind inflation and the economy sat gun violence in terms of issues that voters Mm -hmm. are worried about. And so I think they're making a bet that, especially after these mass shootings we've seen recently in Uvalde, in the North Chicago suburbs, in Buffalo, that this will motivate Democratic voters to go to the polls. I asked A.C. Abrams about that in an interview we conducted just a few minutes ago. My question to her was, hey, okay, so engaged voters, people who are paying attention to the election, especially people in Atlanta, they're reading about and listening about and hearing about the music Midtown Fallout. But what is her message to voters outside of Metro Atlanta who might have never even heard of music Midtown? Here's what she said. Because this is going to cost $50 million. And this isn't a guesstimate. This isn't wishful thinking. This is proven economics. This is a festival that has been around the city of Atlanta for decades, and it is now shut down because of the gun laws in Georgia. There is a direct through line, and this is something that Brian Kemp has bragged about. He's bragged about his support from far-right gun groups. Even when those groups want to boycott the Georgia-based companies like Delta, he has a hypocritical approach to how we serve small businesses and workers in Georgia. He is fine with driving away business, which he doesn't agree, but he will do nothing to keep businesses here when people need to be protected and supported. And if he's willing to do that to Atlanta, to the capital city, that means he has the same disregard for the rest of the state. We have to be one Georgia. And that's why I'm running for governor, because I understand not only the economics, but I understand the politics. And the politics say that we've got to support every Georgian, regardless of background or zip code. And while it may start here in Atlanta, it will spread across the state. And we have got to stop it in November by electing me as the next governor of the state of Georgia. Now, tomorrow we've sought comment from Governor Kemp through his aides, through his spokespeople. He has not yet commented. And look, he's ahead in the polls, not by a huge margin, but by five points in the AJC poll and single digits in most other polls we've seen. But at the same time, this is an issue the Democrats think They can connect those top two factors in the AJC poll and many others that show economy and gun violence. This, to them, to Democrats, this goes hand in hand. So what we're hearing is some Democrats, you know, there's a lot of fallout over the all-star game decision last year that helped unite Republicans when Major League Baseball decided at the last minute to yank the all-star game in April from uh, Truist Park. You know, Republicans use that to say, hey, Democrats are overreacting to Georgia's new election law. Now Democrats are saying, hey, gun laws that have even been in place for almost a decade are still having consequences on Georgia's economy. So they're trying to kind of turn the tables and and see this as a unifying move. Yeah, and it's a bit difficult to compare them. It's not quite an apples to apples comparison. Because if you look back to the the All-Star game, that was a purely kind of political blowback to what was going on with SB202. What's going on here, this was more of an economic decision, right? The organizers allegedly were concerned about getting lawsuits from 
pro-gun rights folks who, who could have sued because they wanted to be able to bring firearms into Piedmont Park for that festival. They were also, of course, nervous when it came to some of the artists that they had booked who had riders in their contract saying, you know, after what happened at Bataclan, what happened in Manchester, what happened at that country music festival in Texas, that they did not want to be around there uh, if there were guns. And perhaps insurance rates went up. We don't really know. But this was a bit more of kind of a dollars and cents decision. And as you mentioned, the promoters of this thing, Live Nation, they they really weren't out there being like, we're doing this in opposition to gun laws. No, they just said, due to circumstances outside of our control. But of course, the Democrats are going to take this and run with it. I'm going to be curious how much this stays on the forefront of the minds of Democratic voters in November, because as we've seen with Republicans, and I think this is one of the reasons why we've never seen or why we rarely see substantive gun control legislation on Capitol Hill in the aftermath of all these mass shootings is because for a sizable minority of the Republican base, they are single issue voters when it comes to gun rights. And they are regular voters and they are loyally going to the polls all the time, especially Republican primaries. So Republicans know that they have a constituency that they want to keep happy. And this is the motivating issue. For Democrats, I'm not quite sure if there's that same, you know, kind of parallel on their side. You know, one reason I don't think this might be going away immediately is because we're still hearing from Republicans saying, how dare Major League Baseball take away the All-Star game? And there's throwing around numbers from economic development studies about how much that cost Metro Atlanta back in 2021 when that game was yanked from Truist Park. And so this gives Democrats that counter. You know, this gives Democrats, well, you know, a festival that regularly draws tens of thousands that drew 50,000 last year, but that drew, you know, hundreds of thousands uh, when I was growing up. That was the biggest festival in town years ago. You know, now they can say, hey, you know, gun laws cost Georgia, cost Metro Atlanta that economic boon. And now you've also got, and this is really interesting, Tamar, you've got the second governor, the second Democratic governor in the span of a few months appealing for basically economic development from Georgia, trying to swipe away economic development from Georgia based on Republican policies. The first was Governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey. Me and our business editor, Scott Truby, got hold of a letter he sent to a number of CEOs in Metro Atlanta saying, hey, anti-abortion laws, if they ever take effect, and this was before Georgia's anti-abortion law took effect, New Jersey has a lot more permissive abortion rights protections. So why don't you consider moving your companies up north? Well, now we have Governor Roy Cooper, a Democrat from North Carolina, saying, Music Midtown, I don't know what we'll call it, but you're welcome to come up to North Carolina and have your festival up here. So you've got some uh, Democratic allies of Stacey Abrams, who are kind of driving home the point that this could cost Georgia business and and tax dollars. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll be interesting to see how much this haunts Governor Kemp and others on the Republican ticket in the weeks to come. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. 
Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with our fill-in co-host, Tamar Hallerman, because Patricia Murphy is on a well-deserved vacation. Well, Patricia and I are among the two of the co-authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which we like to think sets the stakes in the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can join our community right now, this instant, by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts and your first month of unlimited digital access is less than a dollar. It's just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. And tomorrow, our second big headline of the beginning of the week is the economic battle because Governor Kemp had a major economic address last week, came just after news that the nation's economy had contracted for the second quarter in a row. And by some informal definitions, that means it's in a recession. Most economists say, hey, you know, there's still a lot of other indicators that the jury's still out. But, you know, we could be in the middle of a recession or we could be on the cusp of a recession. But to a lot of voters, it doesn't matter. They're feeling it in their wallets. They're feeling it when they go to the gas pumps. They're feeling it when they're at the grocery store or restaurants or going back to school shopping and everything is more expensive. And Governor Kemp, he says the Biden administration ignored the warning signs. Just as Georgians are getting their feet back under them after the pandemic, we now have 40-year high inflation, pain at the gas pump, in an economic recession. The governor also has a new word for the state of the economy here in Georgia. The Biden-Abrams agenda. Stacey Abrams campaigned for Joe Biden, publicly auditioned to be his vice president, celebrated his victory, and took credit for his win. This is why I always say this election for governor in November is a fight for the soul of our state. Tomorrow he's doing everything he can to link Stacey Abrams to an unpopular president. And we can say he's unpopular because his poll numbers in Georgia were pretty abysmal. They were rock bottom. His approval was 36%. His disapproval was 60%. Really, he's got nowhere to go but up when it comes to the polling in Georgia. Of course, it makes great sense for Republicans to do this, especially in a midterm year in a favorable political climate. But we're also seeing, you know, on the one hand, as the governor is kind of railing about the economic policies of the Biden administration and the current situations at the grocery store at the pump, you're also hearing him kind of champion his own economic policies here in Georgia. Because what's so weird about our economic times right now is even though, yes, our GDP has gone down, even though inflation is at a 40-year high, at the same time, the jobless rates in Georgia are 
toward the the lowest ever. In June, it's something like 3% in Georgia. So for many Georgians, they're doing kind of quite well. And the governor has really defended his record during COVID, talking about how he was the first to reopen his state after the pandemic shut everything down. He's championed a lot of economic policies that he's been able to use with COVID relief funds that Washington was able to pass. That includes stipends for teachers in order for them to buy school supplies for their students. That includes tax refunds for many Georgians. So on the one hand, he's criticizing Biden. On the other hand, he's patting himself on the back. Yeah, it's very interesting trying to see him reconcile those two things. A um, uncertain national economy, because there's also some very good economic indicators nationally in other facets. But at the same time, there's a lot of uncertainty and high inflation and higher than normal fuel prices, even though they're beginning to go down. But at the same time, yeah, you're right. He's trumpeting a state economy that's in some ways better than, you know, better than other than than it has been in years. You mentioned the jobless rate, it makes it the second best June in Georgia history. You know, so we're having plunging unemployment numbers. So there are very strong state indicators as well. And so he's trying to take credit for the state side and bash Democrats for the national side. But look, we only see one side of the economy, us Georgians, right? Like we're not seeing a dual economy. When our paychecks come in every other Friday or we're at the grocery store, wherever it might be, we're only experiencing one economy overall, the blanket economy, the umbrella economy, not the dual economies that we're hearing about in political rhetoric. When Stacey Abrams was asked about the economic situation at a stop in Athens a few days ago, she said, essentially, we're not in a recession yet, but Democrats and politicians should do whatever they can to fight high prices. She has an agenda to do that. We've heard her talk about a billion dollar tax rebate, about extending the state fuel tax break through the end of the year, about raising pay for uh, certain law enforcement officers and for teachers. We have not heard Governor Kemp's full agenda yet. We've only heard indicators of what he'll do. We know he'll dip into a state's record surplus, probably for more tax breaks and for more tax refunds. But we haven't heard him illuminate, detail those policies yet. And that's become a dividing line for Democrats. Democrats are able to say, hey, you know, Stacey Abrams has a plan. Governor Kemp doesn't. But Governor Kemp doesn't have that urgency. He's ahead in the polls. He has a national economic climate and a political landscape that will favor Republicans. So tomorrow he just doesn't feel like he needs to go out there and, uh, and, you know, move up his timeline, which probably calls for late August, early September to start rolling out some of these policies. And we've talked a lot about how the governor has been able to use the raw powers of his office for his political advantage. He did this mm-hmm. kind of a masterclass of this with, when it came to David Perdue in his primary battle. And he's sure to do this uh, with Stacey Abrams as this campaign unfolds. Something you're hearing more and more from Democrats is that the governor has all of this economic freedom. He has all this extra money because of the COVID relief packages that Democrats were able to pass on Capitol Hill. And they had that because of Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff being elected to the Senate. I don't know exactly what the governor has to say about that. You can say that better than me, Greg, but I'm sure that's something they'll be reminding him of constantly. Well, that's interesting you bring that up because we've seen Senator Raphael Warnock kind of keep his distance from Joe Biden. He's kind of said, hey, he's demonstrating his independence. He's saying he's fighting Joe Biden on plans to close military installation in, in Savannah and 
urging him to take more aggressive action to back a federal gas tax holiday and to forgive student loan. And in a number of ways, he's keeping Joe Biden at arm's length. Stacey Abrams is taking a very different tack. She's embracing the president, who, again, has about a third of Georgia voters who approve of his job performance. This is what she said when I asked her her view of Joe Biden's agenda at a campaign stop in Dalton a few days ago. Let me be very clear. I voted for Joe Biden. Joe Biden is the president of the United States. He is the president of the citizens of the state of Georgia. And because of his leadership, we have the American Rescue Plan that has poured billions of dollars into the state. Because of his leadership, we are about to have for the first time a true climate action plan in the United States of America. And tomorrow, one of the things she said that we want to highlight is that we need a governor, in her words, who will partner with President Biden. The challenge, though, is that you can't take credit for the stuff you like and put blame on people for the stuff you don't like, which is why I picked him up. He loves to take credit without taking responsibility. Now, tomorrow, this is kind of music to Governor Kemp's ears because all he wants to do is say Stacey Abrams equals Joe Biden. But that's also banking on a bet that Joe Biden's approval numbers, his approval ratings will remain low and they'll remain unpopular with Georgia voters. And, you know, we've still got three plus months until November and his fortunes could at least start to turn, especially with some legislative victories that he has in the works right now. The computer chip bill that will dramatically boost scientific research and computer chip manufacturing around the nation will soon become law. And so will a cornerstone of his economic agenda, which is a multi, multi billion dollar package. I mean, more we're talking hundreds of billions of dollars to fight climate change and to boost health care. And depending on how this is messaged to voters, it could help Joe Biden at least revive his fortunes before the midterm election. Sure. And we are 100 days away from this election. We don't know what the issues are going to be when voters begin going to the polls in mid-October and early November. At the same time, I think the wind is very much at the governor's back, at, at Republicans' backs. In general, Americans tend to vote against the party of power, as in power, especially during the midterms. And especially if the economy is not ideal or if voters feel like the economy isn't ideal, even if they might be doing okay, they're likely to go ahead and punish the party in power. So I can see why Kemp is taking every opportunity he can to tie Stacey Abrams to the president. And I'm curious to see if Stacey kind of stays the course on that or if the president's approval numbers stay low, if she begins to kind of pivot and walk away from him. Because the stance that Senator Warnock is taking is a more traditional one that we have seen from Georgia Democrats over these last you know, couple decades in a midterm year. We saw it with Jason Carter, for example, when Obama came to visit in 2014. Him and Michelle Nunn were absolutely nowhere to be, nowhere found, to be found when Air Force One arrived. And it's, it's kind a of a, a farms more- down in Southeast Georgia. <laughs> exactly. So I, I'm curious if Stacey is able to kind of stay the course or if something changes, especially as we get closer to early voting. Well, we'll be watching for that very, very closely. Tamara, thank you so much for joining us. And it's fun to hear you talk about something other than the trial you've been covering, the grand jury deliberations, not trial yet, grand jury deliberations you've been covering for months now for the AJC and all the other work you've been doing, writing about abortion and the main issues that are really going to affect the November vote. So we really appreciate you filling in for Patricia Murphy for this episode. Always a blast being here. Thanks for having me, Greg. 
Well, coming up on Friday's episode, we'll answer your questions from the listener mailbag, which you can now call into because it's staffed 24-7 by our producer, Shane. And what do you have? A dozen interns who just sit around the clock waiting for your phone calls. Thank Shane. A staff of thousands. Thousands. It's unbelievable. Thousands. You should see our phone bank here at the AJC Studios. Our podcast budget has just exploded. Um you know, really thanks to Breakdown. Breakdown is financing this intern phone bank. You can call into the Politically Georgia hotline anytime, 24-7. I mean, we can call it 3 a.m. in the morning on a Tuesday. Uh, leave a question, and we will play it back and answer it right here on the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. And, of course, you can also send us emails, tweets, all the other ways you know how to contact us. Let us hear from you because we want to answer your questions. Well, thank you for joining us on Politically Georgia. You can count on new episodes of this podcast to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, or really whenever news breaks. We will see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. <laughs> <laughs>